to be in church, isn't it? Um, I just love that song. Um, I don't even know what it's called, but because you're with me, because you're with me, I will not fear. You know, um, I've spoken to just a handful of people this morning who are um, going through um, hard times and tough times, people that are sick and just stuff in their life. And, and I just wanted to remind you, because he's here, we do not have to fear. Because he's with us, he's always with us, promises never to leave us or forsake us. And um, speaking of tough times, I just wanted to give you an update on um, our little granddaughter, Piper. Where's Jill? Yeah, Jill down the back there, Jill and Pete and Aaron and myself share the same granddaughter, um, little Piper, and she's, she was six weeks old yesterday. Um, she's still in hospital. Um, I know a lot of you are, are praying for her and we've been really encouraged by your, just, your love and um, support and just wanted to thank you for that and ask that you continue um, praying for her and uh, we're trusting the Lord. You know, he's, he's with us and we will not fear. So um, that's good. Just want to give you an update on that. And I'd love to pray before I start. That would be great. Oh, Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence thus far in this service. We thank you that you truly are here with us. And how beautiful is that? We just love your presence and we just surrender to you this morning. We ask that you open up our hearts that we might hear your words to us this morning. I pray that there will be more of you and less of me. And I pray that you will anoint the words that I say with your spirit and with your power and that it will be transforming in people's lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. I read a book uh, a few years ago, and some of you might be familiar with it. It was called um, Tuesdays with Mori. And um, the book is essentially about a, um, a guy in his mid-40s called Mitch. And uh, by sheer chance, he reconnects with his former university professor called Mori. And by this time, Mori's found out that he's dying. And he invites Mitch over to his house every Tuesday morning, hence Tuesdays with Mori, for lessons on life. And he teaches him things that he's learnt in his life, like um, learn to forgive yourself and others quickly, uh, never assume it's too late to change. And then he says this one phrase that I want to focus on this morning. He says, in order to live, you must first learn to die. In order to live, you must first learn to die. Now, Jesus had a similar conversation to his disciples. And I want to take that dialogue up in Matthew chapter 16. And that's going to come up on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 16, 21 to 25. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus, sorry, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You know, at the time of this conversation... 
the um, expectation of the promised Messiah was really high. You know, the Israelites had been under the brutal tyranny of the Roman Empire for many, many years. And they were looking for that saviour, the one that would come and squash the Roman Empire and restore Israel to its rightful place and bring peace to the nation. So when Jesus' ministry begins and his fame starts to spread, the people begin to watch him with, with great curiosity. Here is a man who can perform great miracles. Just maybe, just maybe he could be the promised Messiah. But then after a time, their expectations begin to drop because Jesus doesn't really meet the job description. You know, he's starting to mix with the lowest of the low. He's showing mercy and kindness to um, the outcast and the poor. And worst of all, he's got no socioeconomic platform or status. So any God-fearing, morally upright Jew could never really expect Jesus to be the promised Messiah. And then it gets worse because Jesus starts speaking about his imminent suffering and death. And the rabbis of the time had taught over many, many years that the Messiah would never suffer and never die. And Peter knows this. You know, Peter's been brought up by these rabbis and, and that's why he gets a bit frantic and he pulls Jesus aside. He says, God forbid that this should ever happen to you. This is not Peter just having a bad day because Peter had quite a few of those, as we know. And it's not Peter really fearing for his own life. This is Peter who had staked his life, had staked everything he had on Jesus being the promised Messiah. And his heart is sinking at every new word that Jesus said. And right here and there in this conversation between Peter and Jesus... You see the debate between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And when Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but rather the concerns of man. I thought that was a bit harsh. But really, that conversation has gone way beyond Peter. Jesus right there and then is addressing the evil powers that have come and will continue to come and try and deceive the hearts of people into believing that the kingdom of God can be ushered in through power or position or wealth or human reasoning. It goes way beyond their conversation. Right there and then, you can see the stark contrast between the two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of the world that wants to establish itself in power and the kingdom of God that speaks of servanthood. There's the kingdom of the world, prioritising wealth and position, and the kingdom of God that speaks of preferring one another and of generosity. And then there's a kingdom of the world that speaks of domination and the kingdom of God that leads us to the cross. You know, when Jesus talks about taking up your cross and and bearing your cross, what, what did he really mean? Because today when we use that, we, we sort of, we talk about it being really a burden that we carry. It's, it's sort of become a figure of speech, hasn't it? You know, when someone's sick, they might say, well, it's my cross to bear. Or um, someone's got a difficult work situation. Well, it's just the cross that I have to carry. And, and when um, last January um, people came up to me and congratulated me on being married to Aaron for 29 years, I said, well, it's just my cross to bear, you know. <laughs> Sorry, babe. But Jesus is not even remotely referring to a figure of speech here. You see, when Jesus carried that cross up Golgotha, there would not have been one person in that crowd that would have looked at that cross as just a burden to carry. 
To the first century Jew, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, an instrument of death, pure and simple. So Jesus is really saying to his disciples right there and then, consider this. I have actually had to take the pathway of surrender and of death to lead to resurrection, to lead to life for many, and I'm calling you on that same pathway. You see, to find freedom, we have to have surrender first. To find resurrection, there has to be a grave. I remember the day that we um, were getting ready to bring our firstborn little baby home, Ben, from the hospital and we strapped him in his little um, capsule and I've got a photo of that. There he is. Isn't he beautiful? Uh, He was my smallest baby. He's the biggest one now, but the smallest then. And um, I remember the moment we, we carried that capsule out to the car. We put that capsule into the car And as we drove off, it was like the fragility of life just hit us. We're taking this little baby out in an unprotected car into the big wide world. You know when the next scary moment was with that boy in a car? 17 years later, I have a photo of him. Oh, we've cut his head off, but there he is. 17 years later, when we were handing over the keys to his car, to his own car, we were no longer the driver. We were no longer in charge of the destination, of the route, and most importantly, the speed. Scary, isn't it? I've got a photo here of um, Aaron. There we go. See, he's, he's in the driver's seat. He's in charge of the destination, the route, and the speed, and they used to fly around the house in that car. But you know, we're, sometimes we're a bit like that. We're quite happy to have Jesus in the passenger seat when we require his services. Jesus, I'm sick. I need your healing. You can take it off now, Josh. It's a bit distracting. Jesus, I'm, I'm sick. I need your healing. Jesus, I've got anxiety in my life. I need your peace of mind. Jesus, I'm dying and I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. All valid requests, but those same people are not so sure that they want Jesus in the driver's seat. Because when Jesus is in the driver's seat... He's in control of the destination, of the route, and of the speed. And it's a little bit more scary, isn't it? When I hand over the keys as such of my life to Jesus, I'm still fully engaged and probably I'm more alive than ever before. But it's no longer my life. It's now his life. Jesus is really clear on this point. There's no way for a human being to come to God that does not involve surrender. When I was about seven years old, and yes, I have a photo. There I am. Okay, take it off now, Josh. Um, My mum sent me down to the shop. My mum sent me down to the shop for the very first time to get a loaf of bread all by myself. She put the coins in my hand. Now, yesterday I googled how much a loaf of bread cost back in 1971. And I was so depressed because it cost 25 cents. How old am I? But anyway, she put the 25 cents in my hand and said, now don't lose the money. And off I went. Now I walked down that pathway and with every step, I was like, don't lose the money. Don't lose the money. Don't lose the money. Don't lose the money. I got to the shop. I asked the, the lady for my loaf of bread and she brought the loaf of bread out. And she said, that'll be 25 cents. And 
I looked down and then I looked up again and I looked down and my face went red. Tears streamed down my face and I said, I lost the money. And she looked over the counter and she said, well, what's that in your hand? And honestly, my hand had, was nearly blue, it was fused together because I was so determined not to lose that money, I forgot that it was there. And I just let go of my grip and handed over the money. I know it's quite pathetic, isn't it? But some of us are like that with our stuff. Our possessions, our relationships, our agendas, our rights, our privileges, our reputation, even our cares and our worries. We grip onto them so tightly as if our life depended on them. Jesus actually tells the opposite story. He says, in order to find life, you actually have to loosen the grip on your stuff. You see, if you don't loosen the grip, you can't hold on to faith and love and joy and peace because you're holding so tightly onto your own stuff. You know, when we hear these concepts of... um, self-sacrifice and taking up your cross and denying yourself. Sometimes our minds can go to like um, terrible persecution and suffering that third world Christians go through or even martyrdom. But you know, in its theology of death, the scriptures actually focus more on the little daily deaths that we're called to make. Things like humility is a form of death. Repentance is a kind of death. Every time you say no to your flesh, every time you refuse to do image management, every time you let someone else have the last word, it's dying a little daily death. Abstaining from gossip, another example. You know, when you hear um, information about someone, it can be like this infusion of energy. You know, I know something about somebody else. And it can be likened to an umbilical cord that's attached to our flesh that sort of sends this flow of life to our flesh. You know, if we say no to gossip, it's like cutting that umbilical cord. It's a small but significant death. What about Easter? You know, we've got these invites. Now I could go to my neighbour and ask them to a service. Am I going to get martyred? Probably not, unless your neighbour's really bad. But really, I'm more likely to die a little death. Maybe to my pride... Maybe to my fear of rejection. Maybe to my fear that they might say no. Just another example of a little daily death. You see, every day, every day has more than enough opportunities to die to self. But you know what the supernatural dynamic of the Christian life is? Christ in us is accessed and unleashed and experienced through the little daily deaths that we die. Because the more we die, the more room we have for the life and the love of Jesus to live within us. You know, if you read the Gospels, you find there's two major themes that are intertwined. Number one, it's the greatest love story ever told. And number two, it's the greatest story of personal sacrifice. Now, if you're like me, I really like the love story bit. You know, I'm loved by a God unconditionally, extravagantly. I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven my sins, past, present, future. I'm redeemed. I'm chosen. I could go on and on. I just love it. When it comes to the personal sacrifice bit, sometimes I read that stuff and sometimes my eyesight gets a bit blurry and my left eye twitches and I'm like, 
can't see it so clearly because sometimes I'm not sure if I want to go all the way down that road of surrender, all the way down that road of of personal sacrifice. Because there's words in the Bible that we all love to hear. We've all got our favourites, haven't we? You know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. My mercies are new every morning. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And they're all true and promises that we're to hold on to. But there's also other words in the Bible. More, I call them the more difficult, challenging words. And there's a, a theologian called Soren Kierkegaard. There's a good baby name for you. And um, he writes this about those difficult words. He says, I think it's going to come up on the screen, we actually have to move from a place where we admire Jesus to a place where we are actively following Jesus. In order to do that, we have to stop ignoring the difficult words of Jesus. And the words we're looking at this morning, I think they fit into that category. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You know, sometimes I can feel really, really surrendered to God. And you know when I feel most surrendered to God? When I'm here on a Sunday morning and, I, and I'm singing a song, you know, I surrender all. And, and I genuinely feel like I'm surrendered. You know, I can lift my hands high above my head and, you know, I give you all. I give it all away. Give it all away. All those songs we sing. and They're beautiful songs. But, you know, when I walk out and, and actually um, comes a time where I have to act on that surrender, sometimes I find my surrender is only skin deep. And then I have to ask myself the question, am I willing to surrender when I can't actually see what the next step is going to entail? Am I willing to surrender when it means sacrificing something that is really dear to me? Am I willing to surrender when it means moving out of my comfort zone into something that might be a little bit more uncomfortable or even just plain inconvenient? Because, you know, if it isn't painful and if it isn't uncomfortable, then the chances are it probably isn't surrender and it most likely is not death. The good news is, though, this morning, that we're never on our own. You know, the Holy Spirit's always with us and one of the most amazing teaching in the scripture is that God in Jesus knew the pain of surrender. You know, Jesus knelt in that garden of the Gethsemane sweating blood and he cried father let this cup pass from me yet not I will what I want or I will but your will be done see Jesus knew that he had to go down the pathway of surrender in order to bring life and resurrection for many and he knows the same is for his followers I've been a Christian for most of my life. And over the past few years, I'm more and more challenged and confronted by my own way of life. I've begun to question some of my stereotypical beliefs. And I'm coming back to the foundational truth that to be a follower of Jesus means utter and total surrender, utter and total 
abandonment. And in this journey, I'm learning two things. Number one, it can be really painful letting go. And number two, it's the most liberating thing. To remove that millstone of, of self around your neck, self that will eventually drown you. You see, if I'm so full of myself, I've got no room for more of Jesus. I've got no appetite. If I'm so full of myself, I've got no appetite to even taste and see that the Lord is good. Because it's in the little daily deaths that we die that actually make more room for the love and the life and the grace and the hope and the power of Jesus to reside within us. And not only to reside within us, but to emanate from us to those that do not yet know Jesus Christ. So we've left the cross here this morning. And this morning, like you, I stand afresh at the cross. And I'm reminded and I'm astounded how in every way the cross is so countercultural to the world we live in. To be first, I need to be last. If I want to lead, I first must serve. And if I want to live, I must first learn to die. And I'd love you to stand with me this morning. And as the worship team come. You know, my heart is this morning that you wouldn't hear this as a legalistic message. That you wouldn't go away feeling condemned. You know why? Because this Easter, we're celebrating scandalous grace. We're celebrating the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's nothing we can do to actually earn our salvation. It's been done. Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. This The daily deaths that we're called to make, the surrender that we're asked to make is simply a walking out of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's simply less of us and more of him. So I'd ask you to just close your eyes now. If you feel comfortable, raise your hands as a a physical symbol of um, a surrender to God. And we're just going to take some time now, just before you and the Lord, while the team just quietly play. And maybe the Holy Spirit's been just showing you something this morning that um, you need to surrender. It could be a relationship. It could be anxiety and worry. It could be possessions. It could be stuff. It could be agendas. It could be anything big, anything small. It could be something seemingly good. But Jesus is asking you to lay it down before him. It might mean just loosening your grip on something that you've held so tightly. And Jesus wants to remind you this morning that you can surrender because He is so trustworthy. You're not surrendering to a legalistic God. You're surrendering to a God that is so for you, is so wanting you to succeed, so wanting you to have life. He is so for you this morning. So just spend a few moments just between you and the Lord and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender.
Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I surrender to you today with all of my heart and soul. Please come into my heart in a deeper way. I say yes to you today. I open all the secret places in my heart to you. Jesus, you are Lord of my whole life. I hold nothing back. I surrender all to you. My health, my family, my resources, my occupation, my skills, my relationships, my successes and failures. I release it and let it go. I surrender to you the promises I have kept and the promises I have failed to keep. I surrender my weaknesses and strengths to you. I surrender my emotions, my fears, my insecurities, my everything, in sickness and in health, in life and in death. I belong to you. Amen.